Welcome to the Bethany Covenant Church Sermon Podcast. We are a multi-generational community in Berlin, Connecticut. Our services are held Sundays at 9.30 a.m., and you can find out more about us at www.bethanycovenant.org. Well, usually they say if someone is seeing red, it's not a good thing. Uh, But today you're seeing a lot of red, because red is the official church color of this day of Pentecost, this season of Pentecost, when we reflect again on the story that we just heard together from Acts 2. This morning, uh, before we dig into God's Word together, I want you to recall a time when you were in desperate need of a breakthrough, a time when there was something you just really needed in that moment. For me, I think of a time 30 years ago uh, when I found myself driving a 1960s Jeepster Commando from Indiana to Massachusetts. Now, that's its own separate long story, uh, but just know that I was driving through the night out on the highway uh, in in this vehicle that got about 10 miles to the gallon, which meant I needed to fill up uh, about every 150 gallons, and I had, to, I had to calculate that because the gas gauge, of course, was broken. So you know where the story's going, uh, that somewhere around 2 a.m. on the interstate, I was broken down and, and out of gas. And I sat there thinking uh, in that day before cell phones, wondering what am I going to do as the semis blew past. And I felt like I needed a breakthrough I really felt like I needed fuel. Um, And I was trying to figure out what to do. And then I remembered that in the back seat of this vehicle, I had a whole case of uh, fuel additive. This was in the day when they were switching from leaded to unleaded gasoline. And uh, an old car like this needed the lead or a substitute. And so every time I filled up, I had to pour in a, a jar of this additive. And I had a whole case of it because I needed to fill up often. So I took out one of those bottles and read the label carefully. And among other things, it said, caution, contains harmful distillates. And I said, I need harmful distillates. And so I poured a bunch of those bottles into the gas tank, and somehow it started, and I was huffing and chuffing and coughing and spewing my way down the highway a few miles to the next exit in an all-night gas station. And so I got my breakthrough. And I was okay. But there are times that the stakes are higher and we really, really are counting on God for a breakthrough moment. We find ourselves at a complete loss. We feel ill-equipped, under-resourced, not knowing what to do, and we call out to God for an answer. And this morning, we look at a story when Moses was stuck and needed a breakthrough moment. We'll dive into this Old Testament book of Numbers that maybe we don't preach from a lot, but it's full of fascinating stories. Before we go to God's word, would you join me in prayer? Loving, providing, generous God of breakthroughs, would you speak to us today by your Holy Spirit? We ask this in the name name of Jesus, amen. So as I mentioned, this is Pentecost Sunday, this day when we pay particular attention to the person and work of the Holy Spirit, this member of the Trinity, who maybe we talk about less or tend to talk about less than God the Father or his son, Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want to invite you to to listen to see if God's Spirit might place on your heart and in your mind 
a particular word. Maybe there's already a word that's risen to the surface for you. Maybe in our time together in God's word, you'll hear something, maybe in our singing or our prayers. But if there's a particular word that resonates that you feel like God is, is highlighting for you today, I invite you to stop on your way out. Uh, and in the, in the lobby, you'll find a little uh, desk that has feathers reminding us of a dove. Dove, the traditional Christian symbol of God's Holy Spirit. And then just take a Sharpie and write that word on, on one of those feathers. And that will be added uh, in the weeks ahead to the sculpture that the design team has already placed in the lobby to remind us of the presence and power of God's Holy Spirit. As I mentioned, there was a time in the life of Moses as he was leading God's people through the desert when he needed a breakthrough. And we heard that story read from Numbers 11 this morning. There was trouble in the desert. God's people were, were out and wandering, and the time was getting long. And as the people had gotten hungry, God had provided manna for his people. Every morning, this mysterious, miraculous dew from heaven would appear on the ground. And as the dew dried, it would transform into flakes, flakes of something like bread. It was an amazing sign of God's provision and care for his people. By the time we get to Numbers 11, the people have been eating this manna for quite a while, and they're beginning to lose their appetite for it. It's getting old. And we read, beginning in verse 4, that the rabble with them began to crave other food. And again, the Israelites started wailing and said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost. Also the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. And to me, this is interesting on, on two counts. One is, wow, we never see anything but God's constant provision. But also, they talk about this free food they used to get, and I think they forgot that the reason it was free is that they were slaves. And so Moses goes off on his own, frustrated, crying out to the Lord, what have I done to displease you so that you put the burden of these people on me? Why have you brought me into this trouble? Moses doesn't know what he's gonna do with these complainers, the people described as rabble. It wasn't everyone, but it was enough to cause significant problems. And so Moses needed a breakthrough. And the Lord answered Moses and told him, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there and I will take some of the power of the spirit that is on you and put it on them. They will share the burden of the people so that you will not have to carry it alone. And so what's fascinating here is that as Moses cried out to God, God's response actually isn't to take away the problem or the burden. The rabble are still there. Instead, God chose to share a plan by which the burden might be shared rather than eliminated. God said some of the power that Moses had would be taken and shared so that others would be equipped and empowered and help shoulder the, lead of, shoulder the load of leading the people. And then we read, heard read earlier the story of what happened next. Moses brought together 70 of the elders and had them stand around that tent and the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke and took some of the power that was on him and put it on the 70 elders and they prophesied, 
meaning they spoke by the power of God's Holy Spirit. And there were two elders who didn't show up for the meeting, but the Spirit found them and rested on them and empowered them, and so they prophesied too. And then Joshua, who was Moses' right-hand leader, who had been Moses' aide since his youth, spoke up and said, Moses, stop them from prophesying. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish that all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Then Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. Excuse me. So this is such an amazing story with so much going on. First, we see the fulfillment of God's plan that, that indeed power is shared as these elders gather together. Some of the spirit that had rested on Moses was shared to these elders so the burden of leadership might be shared as well. And as evidence of that spirit empowerment, these elders prophesied. Now, there are Old Testament scholars who look at this passage and, and point out that this prophesying didn't, didn't mean that they were predicting the future like sometimes prophets did. And they weren't necessarily even specifically speaking on behalf of God as most prophets did. In this case, as in some other cases in the Old Testament, in which we see prophesying as a temporary phenomenon happening, happening for one, one incident, these elders were giving ecstatic expression to an intense religious experience. The Spirit was doing something powerful in their lives at that moment. Something was going on between them and God. It was obvious that God's Spirit was at work in them in a powerful way. And uh, Numbers makes it clear this only happened once with the elders, and the sense is that in this moment, these elders were, were established. Their authority was declared. It was clear that some of the power that Moses had was with them and that they should be listened to by the people as well. And then in the story, something really interesting happens because Joshua shows up a bit miffed and says, Moses, there are two guys that didn't even show up to the meeting, but they're out prophesying as well. And so Joshua, who cared deeply about Moses and his reputation, thought this was unacceptable. These guys had disobeyed Moses' command to show up to the tent, but they were getting in on the blessing. And so Joshua said, well, what, what gives? This isn't okay. But Moses replied, are you jealous for my sake? I wish all the Lord's people were prophets. I wish that the Lord would put his spirit on everyone. And in this single verse, we hear a beautiful foreshadowing of the day of Pentecost that we celebrate today. If only God's people all had God's spirit hovering on them, that would be awesome, Moses says. And about 1,400 years later, we see the fulfillment of this wistful cry in Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, 10 days after Jesus had ascended into heaven, the disciples were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what appeared to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
Now, there's no indication that this, that this ability to speak in languages they hadn't ever learned continued among these uh, disciples past that day. But we do know that God's Spirit continued to dwell in each of them. Because the rest of the book of Acts explains what happens as the disciples lived into the power and calling of God's Holy Spirit. It's the book of Acts of the Apostles because it's the story of the acts of God's Holy Spirit through the church. Don't be jealous for my sake, says Moses. I'm willing to share, not just share the burden, but also the blessing of being called by God and being appointed as a leader of God's people. In fact, I wish all the Lord's people were prophets and that the Lord's Spirit would rest on all of them. And so what does it look like when that really happens, when God's Spirit rests on God's people. Well, if we look at the book of Acts, we see that the world gets turned upside down. We see how the apostles who were filled and empowered by God's Holy Spirit went on to proclaim the gospel of Christ powerfully. How they healed diseases. They even raised the dead to life. People came alive physically and spiritually by the work of God's Spirit. The church was Spirit-led, Spirit-filled, and spirit-guided. And so we see what it looks like in the book of Acts, and we might wonder, well, what does it look like? What could it look like in our day? In Acts 2, we hear the people seeing all this responding, how is this possible? How is it possible that we're hearing these disciples of Jesus speak in our own languages? The evidence of the Spirit was clear. In Numbers 11, the work and the evidence of God's Spirit are clear. These 70 elders are exuberantly praising God, prophesying in the Spirit. As the world looks at us, as our neighbors and our co-workers, as our spouses and our children and our parents, our siblings, our cousins, look at us, our close friends, our bitter enemies, as they look at us, what evidence do they see of God's spirit at work in our lives? Do they see anything in our lives that actually can only be explained by the supernatural? Do people looking at our lives wonder what is going on? Or do they see us only or primarily as people who just think differently or believe different things or choose to worship a different God or choose to worship at all? is the most obvious thing about us just what we choose to do on a Sunday morning or how we choose to talk or the words or jargon that we all seem to understand? Or is there evidence of something supernatural in our lives? When Moses wished aloud for all God's people to be filled with God's spirit, he had an outcome in mind. He knew there was work to be done, work to be shared, he knew that the complaints he was hearing weren't coming from spirit-filled lives. He knew the attempts to break down the unity of God's people weren't inspired by, the, by God's Holy Spirit. And so Moses wanted God to get as much glory as possible. He wanted God's people to be as faithful as possible and as God-focused as possible. And so his thought was, hey, rather than it just be me who's leading and who's giving God's spirit, I'd rather say the more spirit, the better. 
The more spirit-filled people, the better. The more spirit-led we can be as God's people, the better. And so I wonder, what might the world look to the church and see that makes them wonder? What might, them, what might make them actually stop in awe and say, well, how is this possible? What we're experiencing of these disciples of Jesus, how is it possible? What's going on? Who are these people? What might our neighbors wonder about us? And what clear, indication, as clear indications of the Spirit's power at work in us and through us as people at Bethany would leave those who encounter us with some unmistakable sense that there's something spiritually powerful, something supernatural, something God-ordained at work here among us. Because I think the world needs this right now. I'm pretty sure our neighbors need to see this kind of witness right now. The challenges we face as society and in the world probably seem huge until or unless we compare them against the power and might of God. The challenges ahead can seem insurmountable. They might make us, like Moses, come pleading before God, God, what are we going to do? What are you going to do? These burdens seem too big for us. And we trust that God will respond as God did in the time of Moses and in the time of the apostles not necessarily by removing our burdens, but by broadening and deepening the work of the Holy Spirit among us as God's people. The Apostle Paul says, the same Spirit who raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in us. So we can expect to do things we've never done before. Those elders had never prophesied before. Those in the upper room in Acts 2 had never spoken those languages before. What might we end up doing that we have never done before because God's spirit is at work in us? Maybe we'll demonstrate the love of Christ to someone even when that is not our natural inclination. God's spirit is powerful enough to allow us to do that. Maybe we'll demonstrate the love of Jesus and act as ministers of reconciliation Advocates for true, for true justice, even in a landscape where tensions are high and cross-cultural, cross-racial, cross-racial interactions can seem so fraught. God's Spirit can allow us to do that. Maybe we can choose to listen and learn, even from those people who think or even vote differently from us. That's a big one. But I think God's Spirit is big enough to allow us to do that. We can choose a non-anxious path in an anxiety-charged culture. God's Spirit is big enough to allow us to do that. And so in this past week, I've been humbled to recognize the, the kind of if-only thoughts I've been coming to God with or tend to come to God with. Because I can come to God and say, God, if only things were different, if only our culture was different, if only people would behave differently, if only things weren't so difficult, so challenging, if only our burdens were easier. And so this week I've been challenged to rethink some of my if-onlys and to think about this cry of Moses. God, if only God's spirit would powerfully rest 
on your people. God, if only your spirit would work in all of your people. If only more people would come to a life-transforming encounter with Jesus Christ. If only your Holy Spirit would change people from the inside out. If only the church of Christ would follow the spirit more faithfully, even into tough spaces and difficult conversations. If only God's people, starting with me, would be more faithful, would be more trusting, would be willing to think bigger for the sake of God's kingdom. If only God would use us more and more frequently as his followers, that God might get glory, and so that we would engage in the sacred work of transforming lives. That would be awesome. When God's spirit is at work, it's a pretty awesome sight. It was awesome in the time of Moses when God spoke through the cloud and these elders prophesied. It was awesome in the time of the apostles when the flames of fire appeared and languages were spoken that had never been learned. And it's awesome in our day. I say it is awesome, not just it could be awesome because we know that God's spirit is at work in our time and in our world. This morning, we have the privilege of hearing from Kim Sisson a testimony of, of exactly this. How is God's spirit moving today in this world that God created among the people whom God loves? So Kim, welcome. Well, amen, Pastor Ben. Preach it. Holy Spirit, rain down. I am so grateful for this opportunity to share God and his transforming love. My greatest joy is to see God at work and to brag on him and what he does here and all around the world. I had the opportunity several weeks ago, I returned from Southeast Asia. Um, I cannot tell you the specific country I was in or the people that we were ministering to. It is sensitive work, under the radar, and those who are online, I'm sorry, but you won't be able to see the pictures. Um, this is to protect uh, our workers on the ground there and the precious people that we minister to. Um, I have been to Southeast Asia, that was the area I went to, 11 times. Uh, it was so good to be back. I, I, we praise God that he opened the way. Um, we were shut out for several years because of COVID. Um, we went to a country that borders with another country who is at war. Um, in that country, the government and the military are doing their best to wipe out certain minorities, actually all of the minorities. We minister to one group of those minorities. Um, they live in a war zone, bombings, raidings, their villages are, are burned to the ground, and they are constantly on the run in the jungle. Pioneering with Passion Ministries is the 501c3 that my sister, who is a career missionary, set up um, to minister to refugees from this war. We have 20,000 refugees that we minister to, uh, 41 orphanages, and 30, 30 family camps in those two countries, those two bordering countries. The next slide shows our team. Uh, the two women on the outside are PPM board members and prayer warriors. Then there's me. Then there's my sister, another reason why we're not showing these pictures online. 
Um, next to her is our um, main contact and translator who is from that minority group. She escaped from the country decades ago and is a legal citizen in the country we were in. Next to her is our boots on the ground. She is the nationality of the country and um, communicates greatly with my sister and with contacts. Um, and um, those within the country to set up meetings with them and to make sure that they are fed even if we can't be there. Um, we did uh, travel through the jungle. Um, it's, there's, no, there's no established roads. Uh, this is a pretty tame picture of some of the trucks. Uh, <laughs> We, we had to maneuver almost truck-sized potholes at times, and you can't see it in this picture, but sheer drop-offs on either side of us in the midst of those potholes. So kudos to our drivers for doing a splendid job of maneuvering everything, and here I am, safe and sound. Um, our, our mission to these camps and people that we met with was twofold. To bring in humanitarian supplies, hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of food, hygiene supplies, and other needed essentials, and to share the precious, transforming love of Jesus with everyone that we met with. It was super hot, over 100 degrees every day, um, but nobody complained. Everyone helped. And we, we then were able to meet within small groups. This is just a picture of, of one of the um, areas that we met at, secret meetings set up along the border uh, between the two countries, uh, our contacts and actually our friendly military from the other country helped us set these up. Um, we met with many hundreds of refugees in small groups. Uh, most of them journeyed one to three days uh, through the jungles of the other country to cross a small river and meet with us. Um, this is another picture of a group that we met with. The mountain hill in the background is the other country. It's not quite as close as it appears to be, but at one point a gunshot rang out and everybody of that minority group just hit the ground. They are so used to diving for cover, jumping into holes, um, and you could see the fear on their faces. Um, we, we, we spent time just hanging out with them to just love on them, as you can see in this next picture. Um, we, we, many of these um, children, we, so many children, uh, that's why we have so many orphanages, 40 of them set up, are sent out by their parents from the other country uh, for their safety. And they, they journey through the jungle and they end up in this country, some of them able to stay if they can sneak in, but the, mil or the government of the country we're in sends them back. They, they are not accepting any more refugees. A lot of times siblings get separated, but these boys were so much fun. We were playing games and other things, and, and boys just want to have fun. They're, they're normal boys. Uh, we ministered to the very youngest, precious, so many babies, to the very oldest, generations, generations of refugees represented. We started by um, singing and dancing with them. This is a clip from a video. Um, I don't have many pictures of dancing because we were so involved with it ourselves. Um, but th these are actually teenagers at an established camp that we have in country already 
loving Jesus and, and having him in their hearts. And you can see the joy on their faces as they worship Jesus. The next picture, this little girl just grabbed my heart. Um, she did not know the song at all, but if you could see the video of her, she was really working it. And, and then we shared skits. Um, my, my sister on the left side would do a skit about the, the good shepherd who lost a sheep. And she walks through all of the children looking and looking for the sheep. Finally, she finds the lost sheep, as you can see, grabs that sheep, the little child, hugs it. And, and then she talks about the good shepherd and how much he loves them. I was able to do at each of the camps a, a, a butterfly metamorphosis um, skit, um, the transformation from a worm to a cocoon to a chrysalis to a beautiful butterfly, sharing how when Jesus comes into our hearts, how he changes us. And you can see in the next slide, the kids were very engaged, very responsive. Um, the joy on their faces, keep in mind, most of these children had recently escaped from their war-torn country, but they were in the moment and absorbing it all. Adults were there as well. Um, they were also very much engaged. And um, we actually had some villagers come in, which was okay. Um, Security-wise, it was okay. And they got to hear about God's transforming love as well. Um, in the course of the day with our friends, our translator who I showed you the picture of, you can see on the next slide, she, she shared the good news of God's transforming love with everyone that we met with. Some had already heard about Jesus, praise God, most hadn't. And when we asked for a show of hands after she prayed with them to receive Jesus into their heart, to be their savior, almost everyone raised their hands. Praise God, so many lives transformed in the days that we met with these refugees. We then gave each one an illustrated Bible written in their language. Um, you can see this child just pouring over it. That's what every single person did when we gave it to them. You can see the next picture, even the adults immediately absorbing the good news. And we pray in the next picture, you can see mothers and children that generations will continue to hear the life-giving message of Jesus. At the end of the camps, that we, at the end of each um, time we met, we were able to interview some people with our translator and understand their story a little bit. You're going to see three slides. All of them had escaped just recently, very recently, from their war-torn country. They, um, this woman has nine children. Seven were in this picture. She talked about how she had to find holes in the jungle for the last five months. They were on the run, searching for food anywhere she could find. We gave them food. We gave them supplies. She said, I don't feel so scared anymore. She received Jesus that day and generations now are going to continue to hear about Jesus. The next slide shows two teenagers. They also escaped. Uh, they, they, their, their brothers and sisters are scattered. Their parents sent them out. They're essentially orphans. Um, the boy was tried to hold back the tears as, as he talked with us, but both of them said they accepted Jesus that day as their Savior. And amazingly, they said, we asked, how do you feel? They said, I feel lighter. I have peace now. In the midst of war and trauma and chaos, the all-encompassing peace of Jesus reigns supreme. 
We gave them their Bibles. They said it was the best gift they received. Although this girl hugged her stuffed animal, brought her much comfort, we give one to every child and every teen when we're there. Um, both of them said they hate to see their people suffer. They intend to go back to their countries, somehow get an, an education. PPM does educate teens, children and teens who are able to get into the safe country. They're going back to their country. They pray they can get an education. She wants to be an evangelist. He wants to be an engineer and make things better for his people. And lastly, um, this woman, um, her husband is fighting as a soldier. And we asked her, uh, did, did, you, did you receive Jesus today? <laughs> Sorry. And she said, I received Jesus 11 years ago when you came to my camp. I remember her. I was actually there that day. She asked Jesus into her heart to be her savior. She now has two kids and her two sisters with her. And, and, and in, the, in the camps every day, we prayed for Jesus to heal their hearts from the trauma that they are experiencing. And you can't see evidence of that necessarily, although you can see it on their faces. She said, today I lifted my hand for prayer for healing my heart. I feel God start healing my heart. We have prayed, Pastor Ben shared the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in past years for physical healings, and we see them all the time, instantly on the spot, God healing people. Today, or when we were there, God was healing hearts. So I, I, I just two more slides. Um, sorry. These, these kids, you can see the smiles on their faces. They're in trucks headed back to the border to go back into their country. They cannot stay. This picture grips my heart. Mostly, I have, I have mostly because of the joy on their faces. Only Jesus. They received Jesus that day, and they're going back, taking him with them. And I'm ready to go back to, um, you can see on the next slide, um, we're, we're in the truck. We rode four-wheel drive trucks in the back to a lot of the camps. So I'm ready to go back, but I want to honor the three women on the right. Again, my sister, a career missionary for 30 years, and, the, and, and our translator and our boots on the ground. I want to echo my sister's life motto, so that others may live. That is why, that is why we share Jesus. So pray for these precious people that God will continue to, to transform their lives. And remember, as Pastor Ben already shared, the same God that is at work halfway around the world is at work here too. My most fervent prayer is that we would all open up our hearts to his transforming love and the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Thanks, Ken. Kim, thank you so much. And we will continue to pray for the ministry that we know is ongoing they're halfway across the world, and we will keep our eyes open for what God is up to right here in our corner as well. Because I think as well as across the world, I think here in Berlin, our neighbors are craving something awesome. And so by the grace of God, may our lives actually be something that points the way 
for people who are looking for something truly amazing. May our lives point to the one, the only one who is truly awesome. May we yield to the holy God all that we are, all that we have, so that God would use us, so that God's spirit would be not only resting on us, but working in us and through us, inviting us to things that may actually seem to be beyond our wildest dreams, but are not too big for God. Would you pray with me? Spirit of the living God, would you fall fresh on us today? Spirit, would you continue to shape us and mold us, use us and guide us for the kingdom's purposes, for God's glory and for our neighbor's good? Would you fill us again so that other lives might be transformed by your love? We pray this in the holy name of Jesus Christ, amen.